Welcome back into At The Stripe Podcast, presented by TSJ Sports on Blog Talk Radio. Uh, As always, I'm your host, Noah Lewis, and we've got a lot to talk about following Atlanta this weekend. We'll start off by talking about the truck race that happened this weekend at Atlanta Saturday. Uh, It did happen actually after the Xfinity race. It went Xfinity, then truck. They had a doubleheader only double header for the trucks and Xfinity that is scheduled. Uh, it always could happen with the chance of rain. But when we talk about the trucks, Kyle Busch managed to lead majority of that race. He had it coming down to the end. We then saw a caution. We had guys pit. We had guys take two tires. And when race leader Kyle Busch went down pit road, a very chaotic stop for him in that four truck. Uh the front tire changer on the uh on the right side did was not as fast as the guy in the back. The guy in the back got around to the left side of the car, started changing the lugs. Once the guy in the front got around, they dropped the jack and told Kyle to go because it was gonna be NASCAR overtime, two laps, they didn't want to lose all that track position. And they didn't think that anybody had gotten to the other side of the car to service it because that front tire uh, tire changer took so long. They had not noticed that the rear tire changer got around the car and had started hitting the lugs to take the tire off. When he went on, he got out of pit road and the tire fell off the truck. They had to back it up. They had to pull it in and ultimately ruin Kyle Busch's race. Uh, Brett Moffitt would go on to win that race. We saw him win a race in, I believe, 2016 when he went around William Byron and him and his teammate Timothy Peters for Red Horse Racing. He uh, he got the win, and I believe that was Michigan, if I'm not mistaken, and we saw him come back in a new team in the 16, the team that Ryan Truex was a part of last season. We saw them get their first win as a company, Brett Moffitt second as a driver in the truck series. So, very good race out of that. Then we saw the Xfinity race. Well, actually, we saw the Xfinity race first, as I mentioned before, but we're going to go in that order. In the Xfinity race, we had Kevin Harvick in the number 98, and it's Harvick at Atlanta. Uh, Much like how Bush dominated the truck series, Harvick pretty much, or not even pretty much, he, he did. He did dominate the Atlanta Xfinity series race and and won it. And so, now we're at the Cup Series. Okay, beautiful day on Saturday. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful day on Saturday. We get to Sunday, and we have rain. Uh, NASCAR had brought the scheduled start of that race up to 1 p.m. so that we could hopefully get racing before the rain. Um, That decision was made Saturday morning. It did not work out how they wanted it to, and we... We're under a rain delay instead because of the downpour at the track. Now, at 11 a.m., trust me, I was on my weather app, uh, multiple weather apps <laughs> throughout the day. At, at 11 a.m., we saw rain, 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 and and everyone thought, we're not going to get this race in. There were a couple guys that were optimistic, and, and I was one of them, but I knew that the weather wasn't looking good. Though... As we all NASCAR fans know, the weather can change on a flip of a coin, and we can get a race in. And that is what happened. Ultimately, we did get the track dry. Uh, About 3.30, we started racing. 
No one knew if we were racing to stage two or if we were racing until the checkered flag. Ultimately, fortunately, we did get to the checkered flag after 500 miles at Atlanta, which is something I was optimistic about as well, but did not think would happen, honestly. Um, I was hoping, obviously, but it did happen, and, and that's great. So we did have a couple of things to talk about following that race. First off, Chevys, okay? If you listen to my Daytona following Daytona podcast, you knew that I was praising the Chevys, not praising them. We didn't know what they were going to be like. Um, but I was I was talking about how we would hopefully see the Chevys competing top-notch. What I didn't mention is that there is going to be a learning curve. This is a new car for each organization. It is going to be something that they have to they have to learn and they have to adjust for because they were regularly adjusting for the Chevy SS which was set up differently, which had a different package. Now we've got the Camaro ZL1, and this was really just the dress rehearsal. Of course, they want it to come out of the gate strong. Of course, they want it to race competitively. But no one went into this race saying, we know we are going to, because no one did know they were going to. Um, So Chevy's not as strong this weekend. We did have uh, one Chevy... Actually, two Chevys finish in the top 10. We had Kyle Larson finish in ninth. He was pretty much in the top 10 just about all day. Chase Elliott snuck in there and got a top 10, uh, finishing 10th as well. He was the best of the Hendrick Motorsports drivers by far. Uh, Other Hendrick Motorsports drivers finishing 18th for William Byron in the 24 car, 20th for Alex Bowman in the 88, and 27th for Jimmy Johnson, who had trouble, uh, cut down a tire, and spun Early on in the race, he finishes 27th. Um, Other Chevy guys, as I mentioned, Larson finishing 9th. Austin Dillon finishing 14th. Let's see here. Jamie McMurray finishing 19th. Ryan Newman, who had issues in getting into the wall, finishing 22nd. Uh, Chris Buescher finishing 25th. Uh, uh, Ty Dillon, 26th. And A.J. Allmendinger, 29th. Daryl Wallace Jr. finishing 32nd. Man, after coming off of a second-place run, devastating I, it has to be for, for Daryl Wallace Jr., but not his fault. He was running consistently 20th to 25th. Uh, we had Trevor Bain blow a motor, which completely clouded the back straightaway with smoke. Darrell Wallace could not see where he was going. No one could see where he was, where they were going. Spotter communication had him confused. Uh, the spotter was yelling out, check up, check up, check up, not check up, go right. Then again, the spotter also could not see the back straightaway, so that's all he could say. Uh, ultimately, he ran into the back of the 17 of Ricky Stenhouse Jr. That pretty much ended their day. They did get back out. They did finish the race but not where they wanted to and not where they should have after a consistent 20th, 25th place day. Still a learning curve, as I said, with the Chevrolet, so we cannot judge the Chevrolet speed yet because if we look back, we think of the Toyotas, who had a new body last year. And Martin Truex Jr. came out and won Las Vegas. He got off on a roll, though we saw the Joe Gibbs drivers 
They did not win till July with Kyle Busch. They did not win for that amount of races, which is a significant amount of races for Joe Gibbs Racing. And once they did start winning, they started winning pretty good and, and ultimately, you know, made it to the championship four and and did what they needed to do in that category. I mean in that manufacturer. So a little bit of a learning curve for the Chevrolets. Uh they're gonna take what they learned today and they're gonna take it to Las Vegas and they're gonna unload there at a track that's not as grueling as the very old surface of Atlanta. So hopefully we'll see some better racing out of them. But like I'm saying, like I continuously say, we don't know. Uh, hopefully soon they will get the program where they know more about the cars. They've raced it enough on certain tracks that they know more about those cars. And then we'll see more competitive racing out of the Chevrolets, hopefully. Uh, the Fords, man, come on. I said in Daytona, the Fords are going to run well in Daytona, and then they're going to head on, and everyone's expecting them not to run well in a mile and a half. Well, uh, yeah, I was wrong. <laughs> we had Kevin Harvick win in a Ford. We had Brad Keselowski finish second in a Ford. We had Clint Boyer finish third in a Ford. We had Joey Logano finish sixth in a Ford. We had Kurt Busch finish eighth in a Ford. And we had Ryan Blaney and Eric Almarola and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. and Paul Menard. All those guys solidly in the top 20 in Fords. So top three, the whole podium finish to be Fords who dominate not just on a late race restart, got up there, dominated all day. Uh, very good for that for that manufacturer to say, hey, we still exist and we're we're running, you know, we can run with you guys. Um, Martin Truex Jr., who everyone expected to run really well coming into this race, he finished fifth, got a top five, did run pretty consistently, only led one lap, I believe that was on the switch of green flag pit stops or something like that. Um, not the day they won it, but after starting, not dead last, but a position before dead last on the field, uh, pretty solid day for the 78. Now that we're on that subject, um, Martin Truex Jr. had a lot of problems in pre-qualifying ins inspection. They went through the qualifying line and failed once, went through again, failed twice, went through again, failed three times. After failing three times, your car chief is ejected from the from the racetrack, meaning that he is told to leave. And it is some it is a penalty. Also, you are penalized thirty minutes for the end of practice. It used to be last year that you were penalized thirty minutes and you'd have to sit at the end of pit road for the beginning parts of practice. NASCAR say seen that the fans did not like that. The drivers obviously didn't like sitting in a hot race car at the end of pit road and it just wasn't the best thing to do, so they, they changed the rule up. 30 minutes off the end of practice, meaning the final 30 minutes, he'd have to pull it in, park it up, and not work on the car for that span of time. That's what happened with Martin Truex Jr. for the Saturday practices after Friday's qualifying. Car chief ejected, as I mentioned. 
If they had gone through one more time and failed, it would have been the crew chief ejected. But here's something positive we can take away from this. We only saw the 78 of Martin Truex Jr. having issues. We did see Jimmy Johnson. He went through twice, passed it on the third time, uh, failed the first two. He did have a penalty as well for, I believe it was a 30-minute penalty as well, for having to go in for the final 30 minutes of practice. No car chief, crew chief ejection for that team. But Martin Truex Jr., the only guy to really have problems with this new machine. That is something that is amazing because if you can think back to Atlanta qualifying last year, we had so many guys that didn't make it to the qualifying grid. And we had so many guys that were very close or didn't get to put in a time. And that was a trend throughout the whole season. And NASCAR saw that and said, okay, it's time for a change because we can't have this process take so long. These guys are going to push the pocket. They're going to push the limit. They're going to try to get all they can. So we need to change the inspection process. We need to make something faster. And then we also need to get bigger on our penalties. We need to say, okay, if you fail three times, it's not just going to be a small little penalty for you that next week you've got to sit for practice. It's going to be your car chief has to fly home early. It's going to be your crew chief has to fly home early. It's going to be taken to the next level if it has to. So NASCAR is really bunkering down on the penalties that go along with failing inspection as well as they are getting way better with the system that inspection is run through. I ha You have to commend NASCAR for trying because this was a very big area that or error that we had last year. Uh, we saw so many cars that weren't able to get onto the qualifying line and it was it was not attractive to fans. It was not good for ticket sales for qualifying, which are already, you know, down, but made it even worse because why buy a ticket for qualifying if your driver's not going to get out there, you know, for fans that are at the track the whole weekend. So, um definitely a positive change for NASCAR. Very commendable on their part. This new inspection station is in a black tent inside the garage. You push the car through. They put a bunch of different stickers on the car. And they close the black curtain. And a bunch of lasers as well as projectors as well as cameras hit the car and get, make a crazy light pattern across it. And what that does is these sensors, these cameras are rigged to tell you what is missing in what area there's some underneath the car it'll tell it'll come in red what's wrong with the car and what needs to be fixed whether that's something's too high or something's too low it'll have a different color for you know which of those it is and and nascar will point this out to the teams they'll print out a little sheet and they'll say okay here's what needs to be fixed come on through again and and try, you know, and try again. And that's all you can do. But this process takes 30 seconds. 
opposed to what they had to do with the LIS, LIS machine where they had to lower the templates on the car, get it exactly formatted in the car, do all these certain things, as well as they were not getting some of the areas scanned that this new system can and finding things that this new system can find. And so very, 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 I know I keep saying this, but very commendable to NASCAR to make that change and to get that situated because it is going to produce a lot better reactions from the fans that we can see these guys qualify and that we can see teams more competitive, competitively on the same set, or not set up, but not getting away with something they may have gotten away with in the last system. So very good for that. Um, we saw a lot of problems with pit guns this weekend. NASCAR has changed the pit guns for the Cup Series to where they all run the same pit gun that NASCAR will give them. And this is in efforts to reduce the study of which pit gun is the best and how to do faster uh, stops with the pit gun that some teams were using funds for. This is a way to cut back on that money that the teams are having to spend to stay competitive on pit road. So this will level the playing field. Everybody's got the same pit gun. No one team is going to have to spend an outrageous amount of money to figure out how they can get faster on pit road, which was something that was happening. And and teams are having to do this to be competitive, but they're also losing money while doing this, which was a big deal to NASCAR to say, okay, we need to save as much money as we can. We need to make sure these teams are saving as much money as they can so that we can make sure in the long run that they're still at the racetrack every weekend. And that seems like a small thing, but as expenses add up and as the season progresses, money can get tight. Um, and I know you're thinking, well, how? But for for small teams like JTG, Doherty Racing, or Front Row Motorsports, they don't have these funds that other big teams have meaning that they're already at a disadvantage, and NASCAR wants to eliminate that and make sure that that is not a problem toward teams that are smaller and even to the teams that are bigger, so they have more room in the budget for other things that are bigger and more important. So that is very good. Very happy about that. Um, Kevin Harvick was very strong throughout the weekend, and that was really amazing to see. And... You know, some people may call the race boring because there wasn't a lot of wrecks. There wasn't a lot. Of, I mean, I mean, some people do like the wrecks more than the racing, but there was pretty good racing around the track. Um, at some points, there were a lot of single file, as mile and a half tend to end up like. But other times we saw guys like Kurt Busch, Brad Keselowski, and Kevin Harvick racing for the lead. And and on restarts we saw a lot of three wide to four wide action, which was very fun to see. And we saw Kevin Harvick, who has really done a tremendous job at Atlanta in the past and hasn't gotten the finish to show for it, hasn't won the race to show for it. He did today, which was very fun to see. And uh, for me personally, after seeing him do that in 2001, after Dale had lost his life 
and he stepped into that 29, which was the three, but obviously the three was retired at that time in honor of Dale. He stepped in at 29 and came out and battled Jeff Gordon to win Atlanta and then rode around the Polish victory lap that Alan Kulicki made so famous and and basically held up the number three out of his window. And it was it was very, very nice to see that again. Um, for fans to remember just how it happened years and years ago and, and to see that again was very nice. Uh, for me, I don't know about for others. Others may still think the race was boring and it was not entertaining and it was not worth the wait. But for me, that was very nice to see. So glad for Harvick and his team to finally capture that victory that they've been looking for for a while now at Atlanta and to really do well for the entire weekend. And I'm not a Harvick fan. I mean, I don't have anything against Kevin Harvick. I'm not a Harvick fan, and I still was, uh, it was still very nice to see that happen. So, also, Atlanta, with their repave upcoming, um, I believe plans are still to repave that track after this race. So, for the next season, uh, that's not confirmed as of yet. It was funny because... The track president at Atlanta Motor Speedway told Kevin Harvick, he said, if you go out and dominate like you did in that Xfinity Series race today, then, man, I'm going to have to repave my track. And uh, and maybe that's a sign. Maybe that is. Now, it is going to be sad to see Atlanta turn into that one-groove kind of racetrack as most repaves turn into. Um, the track will wear in after a couple years of racing there, but yes, it will it will be sad to see the old surface go because of just how aggressive you have to be on that old surface. You have to be right up on the wheel for 500 miles because tire wear is is crazy. It, your tires are already you know very much slower than what they were when you first got them in a matter of two laps to three laps and it was just very fun to watch the old Atlanta surface but in the same way you don't want it to turn into Daytona and how Daytona was before it's repaved where guys had the track coming up and the 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 old surf what the old surface provided there and, and it was sad to see that go at the time so just something we'll have to deal with and we'll have to progressing and and just have it happen but it is going to ultimately need to be resurfaced and repaved another thing i wanted to talk about was the number of drivers in the field this weekend uh this weekend we only saw 36 drivers registered for the race nascar has a maximum limit of 40 drivers registered and we saw some of this last year we did not see only 36. I believe this is the lowest amount of drivers in the field since 1992, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I could be. I did see a stat earlier in the week about it. Um, a lot of guy, a lot of fans are 
are saying that this is because of what NASCAR is now and the finances and the sponsorship is just not there, which is all true. Um, it doesn't mean necessarily that NASCAR is dying or at a disadvantage, um, but it does mean that we don't have as many guys that are riding around in the back. I know that is very important to those teams, and I do love to see those teams have success in the series. But it did not... I wasn't affected by the amount of race car drivers in the field. When you think about it, they the Premium Motorsports fielded the seven car last week at Daytona. Uh, DJ Kennington was in the 96 car last week at Daytona. A number of cars that were in the race last week, which, again, another record low in a way of drivers registering for the Daytona 500. Usually we see multiple drivers get eliminated from the race. Uh, last week we saw every driver make the race because there were only 40 registered. So automatically we knew that there was going to be a decrease in the, num the number of drivers registered for that race. When we think about why this is, we have to look at different teams in NASCAR that aren't in NASCAR anymore. Um, just a couple of years ago, we had H. Scott Motorsports with Clint Boyer and with Michael Annette. Michael Annette moved over to Junior Motorsports for the five car to have a more competitive race car. Um, Clint Boyer, obviously, getting the ride with Stuart Haas Racing last year, left that team as well. And the team actually wasn't able to pay... Boyer, all of what he signed his contract for, leaving them at a very big financial crisis in a way. And there was a lawsuit pending from Boyer to get the money that he was signed on a contract for. Uh, also, unfortunately, later that year, uh, Harry Scott, who owned H. Scott Motorsports, passed away. And and wasn't able to, obviously wasn't able to continue the race team in the Cup Series. We also had Roush Fenway Racing, who in 2016 was a three-car operation. Now, a two-car operation with just Trevor Bain and Ricky Stenhouse Jr. after Greg Biffle was, well, left the team, and that was due to a lack of sponsorship, and other reasoning. Um, then we saw just last year, we saw... And, and when, when Greg Biffle left that team, there was a new team the following year in 17 with Chris Buescher. So that was made up. And we do return to the ultimate decision-maker on the underfunded teams that do enter the races and and try to qualify for these races and when they do and when they don't. So there are, there were cars that kind of made up that gap when the 16 wasn't racing anymore. The 37 car Busher was put in, so that made that up as well as now that the 27 car uh that Palmenar drove 
last year isn't racing. He's now over to the 21, but the 12 car opened up and was added to Team Penske, so that kind of filled that void. Um, but we do have other teams that are backing out. We don't see Carl Long racing the 66 yet this year. I believe he does have plans to attend some of the races with that car and and other drivers and other teams as well that were usually entered into the races that aren't. That trend is probably going to continue into the next three weeks. Um, we're going out to the West Coast which is a huge financial blow onto some of the teams because we're there for three whole weeks and you need two cars, a backup and a primary to get out to the West Coast where most of our shops in NASCAR are located in Concord, Charlotte, Welcome, any place in North Carolina or right in South Carolina. You have Furniture Row Racing, which is over in Denver. That's the only team that's not based over in the southern, eastern uh, side of the country. So, will we see some of those small teams? Probably not. Um, BK Racing has said that they plan on running in every race this season with the 23. We've also seen the 83 is not racing with BK Racing this year, which was a charter team. And very unfortunate for BK Racing. They're going through a bankruptcy stage in that race team right now, still going to the racetrack just to hopefully make up funds that they can use to pay back some of the things that they need to pay. Uh, today they were in the race with Greg Golding, finished dead last in 36. That's still money, but not very much. They had a steering issue in that car. Um, and they were at a point where they were putting the sponsor on the car on Saturday in practice. They were putting the decals up against the race car. Uh, so that, that car is pretty much struggling. That team is pretty much struggling right now. They do plan on getting out to the West coast, but like I said, a big financial thing for the teams to have to be out there and fly in and back and then you're going to need another two cars for the following rate week race at phoenix and the following race the next weekend at auto club until we come back and we go to martinsville so a very grueling three weeks for small teams and even for bigger teams that are paying for more people to go out to the races you know plane rides and transportation costs when you look at something like Kendrick Motorsports you have four teams which is four haulers that are carrying two different race cars in those haulers and they are going off to Las Vegas then they are making runs back to North Carolina and then back up to Phoenix I believe some teams actually transport the car, multiple sets of cars out there and and have a location that they use when they're out in the west coast obviously most teams can't afford that so it's very interesting and then you, you also think of the fact of if you wreck the primary and you wreck the backup if you wreck the primary say in qualifying and you wreck the backup and practice the next day then you're in a bind 
And what would usually probably happen would be grabbing a backup car from a teammate or they just have to ship it out. And I don't know if that would even work because of the time it would take. If it was Saturday, late Saturday, would they even get the car there? So you'd probably have to pull one out of a teammate's uh, hauler. But say you're one of those small teams, you're not racing. They're not going to transport another car back if they even have another car set up. They're not going to use the money to transport it back over. And if you're a single car team, you don't have a teammate to grab the car from. So it's a long, grueling three weeks for all of the NASCAR teams. And uh, it'll be very interesting to see how many cars we have in the field, who's in the field, and different things like that. Um, Though a lot of those smaller teams aren't racing in the cup series anymore that we used to see like H Scott and and other teams. It's not changing the core part of the racing. Those cars were only riding around in the back trying to get all they can get. They weren't up in the mix. We still have those cars. There's not any change really with that yes it is kind of odd to not see a full 40 car field but it's not changing much of anything and in fact if it changes anything it changes the amount of risk of getting around a slower car or of a slower car wrecking late and and causing a major change to the end result of that race or the middle or the beginning you know so I don't think as a f- as fans we should complain or be worried when we don't see these small teams not competing but instead just go on with the race weekend because we're not we're not missing guys like Casey Kane. We're not missing guys like Ryan Newman. We're not missing guys like Kyle Busch. We're not missing Joe Gibbs Racing, Hendrick Motorsports, Chip Ganassi, Richard Childress. They're all still going to be there, and they're all still going to be in the mix. As we think about these uh, these next few races with this West Coast swing, as NASCAR calls it, at Las Vegas, Phoenix, and Auto Club, I'm going to be very interested to see which manufacturer which manufacturer comes out on top. Will the Fords back up what they've been able to do in the last two weeks? I mean... In a season that we were coming into talking so much about the Chevys competing with the Toyotas, all we've talked to during this season so far are the Fords and and their setups. Will they continue to show that success at a place like Las Vegas, which, yes, is a mile and a half just like Atlanta, but also is different because of the track surface, the wear of the tires, how you negotiate the turns, how you negotiate the track. Will we still see the Fords running as competitive as we did this weekend? And now that the Chevys have had a race under their belt with their new body, will we see them more consistent right off the bat? A lot of the problem this weekend with them was they had to learn throughout the race and get it better. They started off on something that wasn't the best for some of them, like William Byron, who initially at the green flag dropped the 31st because of how bad the car was set up. And toward the end, how he talked about 
how they had something going into Las Vegas now. They had a baseline set up that was working toward the end. Now that the Chevys have had that, will we see them right off the bat competing at the top level with guys like Martin Truex Jr., with guys like Kevin Harvick that we just saw win at Atlanta, and and the other manufacturers? So that will be something that we definitely watch for. But as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, it took the Toyotas till July to really, or not just, you know, not all of them. Martin Truex Jr., as I mentioned, was pretty good by the third race of the season. But Joe Gibbs Racing, much like a team like Hendrick Motorsports with a four-car operation, took them till July to really win a race. They were running pretty consistent. But it did have a bit of a learning curve for them. So will we see now the Chevys, after that they've had that 500 miles under their belt, come out strong and competing at the top level? We know Alex Bowman is really good at Phoenix. We know William Byron's really good at Phoenix. Both drivers who have consistently run there, and and one who's almost won there when subbing for Dale Earnhardt Jr., and another who did win there. In the Xfinity Series just last year when racing for his Xfinity Series title. And talking more about Las Vegas, we know that Kyle Larson runs pretty consistent there. So, what will we see? That's my big That's my big thing. I said when we came out of Daytona that we're going to see these Chevys run faster, hopefully. Will we see them right off the bat running good? That's still the storyline as... For me, as we head into Las Vegas, can they show that that body was is doing the job, is doing what they designed it for? Maybe not this weekend, maybe not next weekend, but hopefully soon. Make sure you comment below and tell me what you think is the biggest headline heading into Las Vegas Motor Speedway, and tell me what you thought of this week's episode. Also, make sure to check out tsjsports.com. And look at all of our sections. We have a lot, a very big variety of things that you can read up on in all the sports world, including NASCAR. Please make sure you support our writers. We really appreciate everyone that comes along and visits our site. And I want to thank you guys for tuning in to this week's episode of At The Stripe. Please make sure you join me next week. We've got a lot to break down after Las Vegas, just like this week with Atlanta. Thanks for listening to me babble on. I really appreciate it. Uh, And tell me, like I said, below what you think, what you thought of this week's episode, what you think we'll see as we go into Las Vegas, and other things that we can do to better the experience for you guys. We're also always active on Twitter at TSJ at the Stripe if you want to give us a follow. Other than that, I appreciate your time, and I hope that you listen in next week. Stay safe, and we'll see you soon.